have this habit that Tess really hates. Uh, I have many. There are a lot of things that annoy her, but there's just one. It's great to mention because it's going to be a wonderful uh, uh, intro to our text this morning. But there's this one thing. I have a way. I have this way of repeating myself. You may have noticed this over our time together. Like I don't just like say the same word over and over again. I mean, I'm, but but. It's particularly when I get real passionate and I'm trying to sell a point to her, basically how what what's, what I'm trying to say or do is right and, and she should accept it and, you know, that kind of thing. I, I have this way of just repeating myself and I just, I'll say the same thing in different ways over and over and over again. At some point she usually, without fail, will say, okay, all right, you're, you're repeating yourself. I've heard you. She usually doesn't agree. There usually is no movement. You know, I, 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 it doesn't work out for me. But it's just this habit. Like, I just repeat myself. But this week, what I finally realized, now I have not told her this, and please do not tell her this. I want the opportunity to tell her this. I'll probably repeat it many times as I'm telling her this. My tendency towards repetition, when very passionate about something, is biblical. It's biblical. You like that? You like that? She won't, but, but it's biblical. So where we're going this morning is we're, we're, we're moving uh, deeper into the letter of First Peter. And you know what he does? He repeats himself again. Biblical. Biblical. He repeats himself. So we're going to step into to, uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 through 17. Again, if it sounds familiar, it's because it is. I mean, this is the same thing we've been hitting for the last several weeks. Here it is. Chapter 3, verse 13, he writes this. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So right out, right, right out of the gate, I'm seeing this this. This same theme we've been seeing week after week after week. This is another call, a a repeated call to endure, to endure suffering and do good. It's right there. Endure suffering and do good. Both of them are sitting right there in those verses. So take a look. I've just highlighted it for us. So right out of the gate, verse 14, even if you should suffer what is right? For what is right? You're going to be suffering. So this is a, again, we're dealing with suffering. Again, those who speak maliciously against your good behavior. Again, you're, you're, you're suffering. You're doing good and you're suffering and you suffer for doing good. All of that right there in the passage. Again, another call to endure. Endure, particularly unjust suffering. And you do good. So just because you're suffering... And things really stink, you keep doing good. There it is. I mean, at this point, we could just end the sermon, move into a next step, and be done. But there's so much more here. So I want you to see something. Now, I've tried to think of every way possible to do what I'm about to do without doing what I'm about to do. 
But I couldn't, figure, I couldn't find a way. So we're just going to read several passages of Scripture. And what I want you to see is that not only are we to endure suffering and to do good just in general, we're to do it in every part of life. And that's exactly what Peter has been saying for the last several weeks as we've studied passage after passage in this section of the letter. So take a look. We'll start with... Uh, just in a pagan society, this was verses 11 through 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may what? See your good deeds, your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So even in a world that's going, uh, I, I don't want to say to hell in a handbasket, but if I was going to say that, that's the way I would say it, right? So like in a world that literally is on a downward trend, and they are slandering you, you keep doing good. All right. And then we saw uh, how this works under civil government. He says, submit yourselves to the Lord, for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Because there will be foolish people who speak against you, but you don't give up doing good. Actually, it's God's will that you keep doing good. So just like in a, in, a, in a pagan society that's going down the drain, under civil government, even when civil government is not doing its job of protecting the righteous, you keep doing good. But what about the workplace? Remember what he said next, verses 18 through 20. Slaves, remember what we said about slaves. Slaves, the closest thing we have to it from the, uh, in, in our current context. There's a lot we said about this, so uh, if you think this is just too quick, you've got to go back and listen to that sermon. This is the closest thing we have is into an employee-employer relationship. So, uh, slaves, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. The word there is crooked, even those crooked bosses. For it is commendable. If someone bears under the pain of unjust suffering, if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable. Right there, woven into the workplaces, you got a you got a crooked boss, but you keep doing good. Actually, if you endure unjust suffering and keep doing good, twice Peter says that's commendable. It's commendable. Okay, so again, you, I hope you're seeing this repeated theme. You endure suffering and you do good. If it's in a pagan society, if it's under a bad government, if it's in a bad workplace, you keep enduring and you keep doing good. There's never a moment where you're allowed off the hook. You keep doing good. All right, then then what does that look like in marriages? Particularly with wives with unbelieving husbands. So we've highlighted that. In the same way, submit yourselves to your husbands. Now, not just any husband, particularly those who do not believe the word. And... And what are you going to do? Well, you're going to win them without words by the behavior of their wives and when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. So these wives are called to live good lives. Good lives even in a marriage that may not be that good. Okay? Remember what we said there also about this passage? This was not a call for wives to just suck it up and be abused. Uh, we, we, this passage is not a license for a husband or a wife to abuse one another, okay? So we, we put that within the larger context. But here I want you to see, again, you keep enduring. You stay in that marriage. You keep doing good. You keep doing good. You see that? Now, what about when you get insulted? Like in general, what happens when just people start insulting you? Well, Peter, again, puts it on repeat. Here's what he said next in verses 
chapter 3, verses uh, 8 through 12. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil. Turn from evil. Do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So even when people are insulting you, even when they're giving you evil, you do good. You endure unjust suffering and do good. Five times. Five times. I don't even know if I'm that bad. Five times. I might get three or four before I get cut off. But we're at five times. And then the sixth time he goes on repeats our passage today. So just, I just want us to remember it. Um, no, no. Did I not, did I not do a copy and paste on that? I didn't. So let's take that one away. I want to set that up. Here, back off that one here. There it is. We'll just leave it there. I didn't, I didn't put it up there again. Just remember that slide. Just all the highlights, right? Okay. All right. Carol, can you click back to the original one where I highlighted off of, uh, chapter three, verse 13 through 18 or 17? One of the first ones we did, first highlighted slide. Yeah, go forward. One more. There it is. Uh, completely my fault. So sorry. I had you, I had, I, we were all moving in the same direction and then I broke us. I'm so sorry. All right, so here it is. Sixth time, we, we, we went on repeat. Even if you should suffer for what is right, those who speak maliciously against your good behavior suffer for doing good. The sixth time he brought that theme up, when things are really bad, you keep enduring. And you keep doing good, even while you're suffering unjust, uh, unjustly. Six times. This is the sixth time he's repeated this. Now, it's in this passage. It's in this passage, though, that he adds one more layer, and it's this. Now, let's go to that one that I said, no, no, no. There it is. He says this. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. So, so finally, we're at this point where Peter's recognizing that, you know, as they watch you endure unjust suffering, and you continue to do good, as they watch all of that happen, at some point, someone's going to ask you, like, why are you, why do you continue to endure? Why are you different? What kind of hope do you have? What is it about you that allows you to keep doing good? What are you hoping in? They're going to look at you and say something's different about you. At least that's the goal. I mean, if you keep enduring unjust suffering, then you keep doing good, they're going to look at you and say something's different. But the answer to that question is not what are they hoping in. Because hope's the key. They see something, they're hoping in something. It's not what kind of hope they have or what they hope in. It's who they hope in. They hope in the one that is in charge. They have trusted the one who controls all things. And that changes everything. So just before he says, always be ready to give an answer, you know what he said right before that? He said this. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your heart, revere Christ as Lord. 
So how in the world do you suffer unjustly? And how do you keep doing good? It's not going to come from your own strength. And it's not going to be because there's like a pot of gold at the end of some rainbow. It's not going to be because unicorns in the end win. That's not, no matter what Ava might say, unicorns don't win. Um, uh, it, it's, not, it's not because you figured out how life works out if you just keep, if you just keep living long enough. What, you, what every Christian, at least it, for Peter, to these Christians, is that you figured out that God is in control. Christ is Lord. Like, that perspective changes everything. You hope in not yourself and not in circumstances... Not everything will come to pass. That is, you know, everything will eventually get better. No, everything doesn't always just get better. There's only one way we know it gets better. It's you lean in to the one, the only one, who can make Romans 8.28 possible. If you remember that passage, very famous passage, Romans 8.28, and we know that in all things, God, God, not you, you don't work all things out, your boss won't work all things out. No president is going to work everything out. No politician. No chef. No trucker. I don't care who you are. No one else is working it out. God's working it out. We know in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. You see, when you endure suffering, the only way you're getting to a life of endurance and of goodness you keep doing good, even in the midst of evil, is you understand who's in control. That's how you do it. That's it. That's the only way that's possible. Is you have a shift in perspective. That's how you get through suffering, is you understand who's in control. Interestingly, Peter's been saying this the whole time. Now, we're not going to go through that whole passage again, this whole section. But I do want you to see one excerpt from where we've already been. And I want you to see that every time he talked about enduring and doing good... He's laying God's perspective over all of it. He just like wraps it up. And we didn't look at all those moments, but I want you to see it in this one place. Here it is. I'll go one more. That's a carryover from last week. Go one more. We're going to come to that one. Here it is. Live as people, he said. Remember when he said, live as people who are free, living as servants of God. Not servants of yourself. Servants of God. So you also you automatically understand whose you are, who's in control. He also says in that passage, fear God. Why would you fear God? Because he's in control. And it's not that he's mean, but he sure is dangerous. Now, things that are dangerous are not bad. You charge up your phone last night? enjoying that technology that came by, by way of technology. Anyone climbing up a telephone pole and grabbing onto a wire today? No. I hope not. FD. No. No. And no, FD was looking looking odd there. Okay. I, George, I assumed, but FD. You, you see the point. Things that are dangerous are, can be very good, but you respect them. So I, Peter, right here, you are a servant of God, and also, don't forget, you fear God. You keep, you keep things in perspective. God's in control. And then at the end there, verse 19, even as we're suffering, remember, be mindful of God. You are always keeping God in perspective. 
You are not in control. Your boss is in control. Circumstances in the abstract are not in control. God's in control. And that changes everything. Interestingly, this is such an important point for Peter. Not only does he say it here, he says it in our passage today. When we get to chapter 4, he's going to say this. Chapter 4, verse 19. So then, those who suffer according to God's will. Interesting. God's will. You're not even in control of all your suffering. According to God's will, should commit themselves to their faithful Creator and continue to do good. You see the theme. You commit yourself to your faithful Creator. I love that. We're going to deal with it when we get there. He's faithful. It means He's not letting go of you. He's good. And He's your Creator. You are not God. He is God. This is like the most basic principle in the world, and it's the one we struggle with the most. We are not God. There it is. You endure suffering. You do good. And how you do that? You have the right perspective. That's how we do that. So let's go back. Uh, Carol, can we go back two slides? Let me just give some, like, we're not in our application section, but as I began to write the sermon and think through it, I got real convicted. So this is more me than it is you, but if you feel it too, enjoy. Um, Come back a couple slides with the bullet points. One more. There it is. So because God's in control, we don't try to get revenge because we trust that God will get justice and he will give justice. This one was the hard one. We don't throw a pity party for ourselves because we know God's in control of our lives. You've been frustrated with your circumstances? You ever get down on yourself? You ever cry a little cry for yourself? Yep, me, me, a lot. Um, you don't, you don't get to throw pity parties for yourself if God's in control. God's good. He has your good. He has He has your good in mind. So yeah, you may not like where He has you, but He has you there for a reason. So rather than throw the pity party, you remember He's He's the one we commit to as our faithful Creator, and we keep doing good. And in that last one, we don't answer evil for evil because we know God calls us to do good, and He's in charge. And those are all very hard things when you get it on the ground in real life. So when I think about all of this, when I think about like having the right perspective, when you're going through suffering and having the right perspective on that suffering, there's this one passage. It's one of my favorite passages. If I die and some of you are living, maybe just read this passage at my funeral. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18. You've heard it many times from me. I want to read it out of the New Living Translation. Check, on, check this for perspective. This is what Paul's talking about. Exactly what Peter's talking about. He says this. This is why we never give up. Another way you could say that is endure. This is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small. They won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them all and will last forever. So don't look at the troubles that we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. That's the call from Peter. Peter is calling these Christians to walk through their suffering in a pagan society, in the workplace, under civil government, in marriage, or just in general... 
You walk through that suffering. You endure. You don't give up because you have the perspective of eternity stamped on your eyeballs. And as you walk through this temporary world, you know that the suffering is creating in you an eternal glory in the presence of God that you can't get any other way. So we have a different perspective. We don't set our gaze on the suffering of this world. We set our eyes on the horizon for what is coming. And we look there. Now, that's a lot easier said than done. And so the so I've had some people in my life that I that I have seen this like work out. Like work out in their life. People people that are walking through deep suffering and yet they walk through it with deep hope. And I'm like, I want to be that kind of person. And I'm not there yet, but I'm like, I will I'm taking your story with me until I until I get to the end of my life. And one of those people is Laura Conover. And many of you know Laura Conover. And you know that she was diagnosed with cancer and it took her very swiftly. And Laura embodied that passage. I asked Bill, her husband, I said, Bill, could I read an excerpt from my eulogy at her sermon? He said, yeah, absolutely. So I want to read you what I said here a little over two years ago. Literally, just standing right here, podium here, many people in this room. Actually, people were outside. Right after I read that passage, 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18, it's a passage I read with Laura. It's a passage that I read at, we read at her funeral. And this is what I said next in her eulogy. You could study this passage of Scripture for months. You could read academic articles. You could study every word in the original Greek. But I saw this passage in Laura's life. Her body was falling apart. But her soul was exploding with God's glory. I wasn't the only one who saw Laura's faith and hope bursting from her body. Many of you did too. But the person closest to her, her devoted and loving husband, saw her faith and hope more than any of us. And we owe Billy a debt because he took what he saw in her and he put it into words. I want to share with you a letter that Billy wrote to Laura in the last couple weeks. Billy asked that I read it today. Obviously, this was a couple years ago. I want to read you that letter that he wrote. Uh, he titled this letter, The Two C Words. Over the course of the past few months, these two words have, been, have really been the focus of our lives. It's been amazing how these words go hand in hand, yet they have two very different outlooks. The first of these words is the very powerful and ugly word, cancer. When you first hear the cancer word, it's like a punch in the mouth. It grips your entire being and all those around you. It brings to a screeching halt all those things you once thought were important. The sadness that immediately takes hold on everyone involved is so overwhelming. The effect it takes on the body is equally disheartening, if not more so. It wears away on your mental state and your physical being as well. We have in our minds a picture of what the earthly body should look like. So when you see the deterioration and the weight loss, it can be crippling. But then something amazing takes over. Once the weight is gone, and you can count the bones, you are capable of looking deeper. For you see, this is where the second of these words begins to take control. The other C word I speak of 
is Christ. If you look through the ugliness and the pain, you can see his love taking over. A transformation of the mind and body goes through, that the body goes through as you get closer to entering into his glory is overpowering. To be able to go through this with the hope of an eternity with him is sustaining. To be able to witness the earthly body transform into the spiritual realm is the most glorious event an earthly person can witness. It leaves behind a greater hope for those left behind to mourn the loss of a loved one. It gives us an undeniable hope of reunion, a reunion that we know one day will take place on streets of gold, a hope that reassures us that we can have an eternal life waiting for us on that day He calls us home. To see an earthly being go into the spiritual home to be with our Christ with a glorious smile on their face and in their heart tells us we will see them again. Dance with the angels, Laura. I love you. Your loving husband, friend, and protector, John. You don't get Laura Conover without Christ, Lord, in her heart. You don't get it. You don't get it. You get some vague thing like, you'll always live on in our memories. And you get a lot of crying and a lot of suffering. But when you have Christ as Lord in the heart, you get suffering that actually shows glory. You get endurance. You get goodness. Laura did good until she was unconscious. Why? Because she knew Christ. And you know Christ, you get everything else. This is the kind of person Peter's talking about. This is what we're called to be. But you don't get it any other way. But Christ as Lord, Him in control according to His will. Do you see how perspective changes everything? You don't get this letter without a changed perspective. You just don't. And thank, thank God, literally thank God, Billy, had the stamina to put it in words so that we could share it together. Alright, here's some application. We're going to go real quick on this because honestly, point number one is there's no magic formula just to say that again, there's no magic formula. I heard, uh, I heard someone say recently, I can't wave my Harry Potter wand and make it happen. Like, there's just no incantation. There's nothing, like, I can't right now give you anything for you or for me that will make this easy and fail-proof. Everyone okay? There we go. Just so we all understand. There's no magic formula. Point number two. You need to be around Bible-believing Christians a lot. We have this idea, we have this idea that we can be, we can take in the world into our ears and eyes and not be affected. If you are constantly consuming a message of materialism, consumerism, a world all about me, 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 then when you get to a, when you get to that moment of deep suffering, do you know who you will look to? Me, 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 me. And that will not sustain you, nor will you do good out of that. 
And so we have to be around one another. You ha- like, there's no substitute. So I get it. We can't all be here all at the same time every week because some of you have jobs that require you to work on the weekend. Some of you have family obligations at different times. I get that. Sometimes there's sickness. Like, understand. But in general, I, I, I want to say this Christianly, but I also want to say it so you feel it. So I'm going to go middle road. I'm going to go like middle road on this. You've got to get your rear end in the pew. There's like no excuse otherwise. And do you think I want to be here every Sunday? No. No, I don't. Some days I just want to stay home. Drink my coffee without kids. Like, I just need to understand the no kids part is the peace. Like, like sometimes it's easier to be here than at home. Um, Because I haven't had to, like, I haven't had to punish any of you. Like, this has been wonderful. We've had a great half hour together. Um, you got to be here. Now, listen, I understand. Please understand. I understand that things come up. And sometimes we get in ruts. But I'm saying, in general, be here. And I understand some people have health issues and they can't be here. You get that. You cannot substitute from being around other Christians. You just can't. And by the way, this is not the only time you can be around Christians. It's just the one where we are most gathered. Last one. You need to be saturated with the Bible. You just, I don't, there's just not a substitute for this. Like, if we want to do, endure and do good, and that comes from Christ, and we get to Christ through His Word, you, you can't enter a season of suffering and then get upset that, like, it's, like, that you're always upset when you have nothing Nothing to grab onto. When you have no substance for hope, you're going to end up with in a self-pity party. Me included. Like, we're all going to be there. There's no substitute for having Scripture in your mind. It doesn't mean you have to read it every day. You know, there's this new app. If you want to know about it, I'll, let you, I'll tell you about it. There's this Latino hip-hop group. And they've put some hip-hop music to the Bible. So they read the Bible. So it sounds a little different. They're like... Latinos from Chicago. It's like they sound a little different. It's not your typical, you know, American or British voice reading the Bible slowly. With it, it seems a bit boring. It's like got some speed to it. And I just sometimes put on the Psalms and I just listen to the Psalms, not because I even am paying attention to every word, because I know I'm going to grab on eventually, and it shapes my mind, and I need it. Here's something I said a few weeks ago. I feel like it's. It needs to be repeated. Obviously, I think it needs to be repeated. I'm real passionate. Might like let's just keep that slide up all all month, right? People with the greatest hope in the world are those that are saturated in Scripture. You show me someone full of hope, I'll show you someone who knows the Bible. I don't mean like they know every chapter of Leviticus, but I mean there are people seeped in God's Word. All right. Now. Again, no magic formula. So you can come to church every week for a year and still have down months. Like, you just feel down. Like, that can happen. So just don't think that this is like, oh, I come to church, I'm supposed to like, this is like my happy pill. No, you don't always feel happy after coming to church. But on the long run, it changes it. Here's the next step. Listen to the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus Throughout the Week. I'm going with a song this week. Like, I'm not doing, like, read this passage of Scripture or something like that. Just listen to the song. I think most of you know how to access that song. If you don't, you go to a website called Google. 
or Yahoo, DuckDuckGo, whatever your thing is, or that, that one that's supposed to be real big on privacy, whatever. Pick your, pick your, your search engine. You type in, turn your eyes upon Jesus. And I'm telling you what, YouTube's going to serve us well. Because they're going to bring up that song. If you have Spotify, YouTube music, I don't, it doesn't matter. You may even have a CD. I'm so sorry, Glenn. Glenn has CDs, but his truck doesn't. I'm so sorry. You're going to have to do it on your phone. I know. Um, you, you may even have a cassette tape. And you have to like fast forward to get to that song. Do you remember when you had to do that? Don't tell me. You remember eight tracks? No, I don't. Okay, fine. Now we know our ages. Okay. Someone's going to say that to me afterwards. So get that out of the way. All right. Okay, George, you can't start. Don't start, George. I know you're older than me, George. Um, okay, okay. Listen, just listen to the song. And here's what that's going to do. If you just listen to it throughout the week, it's actually going to begin to shape your perspective. No magic formula. It's just one thing we can do. But it's something concrete. Okay? All right. Let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into our response time. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that... You understand us, and you understand we need things repeated. And so we want to be a people who endure suffering. But as we endure, we do good. We don't want to be a people who complain. We want to be a people who do good. And that's really hard for us. Forgive us where we fail. And we want to thank you for Laura's example, what she did in her life on this earth a few years ago. Thank you for her example to us. In my mind, she is part of a cloud of witnesses, a great cloud of witnesses, to those who have been faithful because of your grace. And so help us to endure, help us to do good. And we're going to need your help in all that. We pray that under the name of him who we consider Lord, King of kings, Jesus the Christ. Together we say, Amen.